We're going to do some team teaching tonight, and so we're going to get things ready. If you will, get your Bibles and go to Ruth, the first chapter. Ruth, the first chapter tonight. We'd appreciate that. As we're going to get, uh, I like the graphic. graphics, thank you, the graphics. Well, and as we are gathering things up, um, men, remember Sunday night, we're going to be, wave at us, Winston. Uh, we're going to be at Winston's house, and uh, we're going to be playing. Where are you going? We'll come back to that. Come on. Let's go. You're on that side. Yeah. I want you on the other side, man. Your microphone's over there. Your microphone's over there. Oh, this is going to be fun. Fun, fun. So, all right. I want you to, uh, sir. <laughs> now I'm all messed up here. All right, scoot over. Take your stuff there. Okay. Instant mess up here. We're going to, uh, what we initially thought about doing is doing a study on the book of Ruth, and we thought we would take a chapter a week until we got to studying. And uh, we're just going to get through a few verses tonight. In fact, the first seven verses. We're doing it Andrew style, so um, we, we are, um, we're going we're gonna to pick the bones, okay? Because they are very meaty, and there's a lot on there. We, we got to looking at it, and we couldn't get through the first seven verses in any length of time. So, But the book of Ruth, I don't know if you've taken time. You can read it in just a moment. Uh, but study the book of Ruth. It is a fascinating book, one of my favorite books in the Word, because I love imagery. I love portraits and pictures. And you get so much in the book of Ruth. It is a story of desperation that turns to restoration. As she's clearing her throat, I'm going to open up in prayer. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, now, Andrew's going to set the backdrop tonight, and it's going to take the lion's share of the message, but we're all right with that. Okay. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord. Let our ears be attentive, Lord, to your voice, and our hearts be open to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take it away. Well, I wanted to hurry up and get going because I know he's got some good things to say in the end, and if he takes up all the time at the front, then he's not going to get to the end. How long does it take to say amen? Come on. All right. Let's go to Ruth 1. We're going to read right now the first six verses. How many of you read Ruth a lot? I expected to see more hands. How many of you plan to read Ruth a lot? There you go. Thank you. Now, <clears throat> here it goes. And it came to pass in the days of the judges, the days when the judges were governing, there was a famine in the land. A man <clears throat> went from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to dwell in the region of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And his two sons were named Malon and Chilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They came to the region of Moab and remained there. Then Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. So she was left with her two sons. 
they married Moabite women. One was named Orpah and the other was named Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then those two, Malon and Chilion, also died. So the women were left without her children and her husband. And when she got up, along with her daughters-in-law, to return to the region of Moab, because in the region of Moab she had heard that Adonai had taken note of the people and given them bread. Man, the book of Ruth, four chapters packed full, packed full of theological content. The book of Ruth is so full of theological content, if you'll stick with us in this study, you're even going to find that in the book of Ruth, there is, from Ruth, is encoded into Genesis. Encoded in a way that only God could do it. Only God. You see, this book is an extraterrestrial book. It doesn't come from earth. And by the time we're finished, I will not have to harp and moan and beg and plead you for you to read the Word of God. You will understand that the Word of God is heaven sent to earth from the very throne of God And it is a message of relevance to you today. And I shouldn't have to beg you to read such a spiritual, holy writ from the throne of God. I wonder what the real of God is. Have you read any more of the Bible this week? Bible? Is there an app for that? Actually, there is. Yes, there is. Okay, so here we go, guys. Ruth, it is, it's an amazing book. It is a redemptive love story of mercy and grace. Four chapters set in ancient Israel. It holds a past message, a present message, and a future message. There's prophecy in the book of Ruth. There, from the book of Ruth, we need the book of Ruth to understand a certain portion of the book of Revelation. We're going to get there. Four chapters is all the book is. And you just thought it was a rags-to-riches story. Woman made good. Wow. Here's your one chance fancy. Don't let me down. That's what it sounds like. It's way more. It's not that at all, but way, 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 way more. The themes in the book of Ruth. You'll need knowledge of the Torah. You do. You you can't understand Ruth if you don't have knowledge of the Torah, the law, the instruction of God. We're going to learn about the kinsman redeemer or the Hebrew word the goel. We're going to learn about Leverite marriage. You don't need to know what that is tonight. You're going to learn. You're going to need to learn about the law of gleaning. You're going to need to know about Israel's purpose among the nations. The redemption of the land of Israel and the bride. All of that is in these four chapters. 
But as we get started tonight, the setting of Ruth is so important. We've got some hard content to cover tonight. I'm going to deliver to you the salient points. And Mike is going to come back and he's going to be salvific. What did I just say? I am going to give you the jab and he's going to put on the band-aid. That's what we're going to do. So, as but we can't we can't just start out with a pie-in-the-sky, Pollyanna approach and not take hard facts for what they are, hard facts. And so when we start out, how many of you sometimes a whipping is just what you need? I'm just saying, right? My mother always told me I needed more whippings. I don't know what she meant. Can't figure that out. Ruth 1 and 1, it says this, In the days the judges ruled. Stop right there. We have just entered the territory, in my opinion, of the darkest time in Israel's history. I cannot stand to read the book of Judges. It's truth. I was reading the book of Judges one day. I'm a real passionate kind of person. I'm wound tighter than an eight-day clock. That's just a fact. Mike, I was just so on edge. I was gripey. I was aggravated. Everything was bothering me. He turned to me and he said, this is probably not the answer question any of your other, your husband's probably never asked you this. He turned to me and he said, are you reading Judges? <laughs> yes, I am. How did you know? He said, I can tell. You just get aggravated. I read Judges and I am so perturbed by chapter 2 that I can't, every, every time that I read through the book of Judges, I'm just like, are you kidding me? I am one of those people that I watch a movie. I may watch a movie 10, 20, 30, 100 times, just say in Pride and Prejudice, maybe, maybe one of those. And I may watch a movie that many times, and there's certain points in a movie, and I will think, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't say it. Don't say it this time. Don't do it. Oh, they did it. And every time I read Judges and I get to Samson, I am so mad at the man by the time I'm finished, every time. I just want him to do something beneficial with the gifts he has just one time when I read the book. I just want him not to take a Philistine wife. I just want him not to go lie with a harlot named Delilah. I want him just one time to make a different choice and get a different outcome. But he never does. And so I close the book of Judges till I can handle being frustrated again. But I had to read the, dark, the book of Judges today, at least a little bit. So bear with me if I'm frustrated. Judges 2, begin reading. I'm going to skip through because I can only take so much. I'm going to have Siri at home start playing the Psalms when she comes in, so calm her back down. 
So, now I really, I, I wonder how many of you read the Bible like that? I like it immersive. I don't want to just read the characters. I want to put myself there, and I want to, I want to experience, because the book of Judges is so, it ought to be called the book of the Americas. It's a lot similar, and I think that's why it bothers me so much, is I see it so prevalent. Well, how many times have you wept when you read of Samson, that he knew not when the Spirit of God departed from him? Oh, Because he didn't have to. I tell you, it, uh, it should cause us to weep when we see that verse. And if it doesn't, that should cause us to weep. Yes. Okay, Judges 2, 7. I'm going to read 7 through 8, 10, 11, 14b, and 15b. I'm just going to put them together. Then the people, then the people worshipped Adonai all the days of Joshua. Nice. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of Adonai that he had done for Israel. They're like, ah. Oh. Then... Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Adonai, died at the age of 110 years. Verse 10, but when all that generation were gathered to their fathers, there arose another generation. After them that did not experience Adonai or the work he had done for Israel. 11. Then Israel did what was evil in Adonai's eyes. 14b. They could not any longer stand up against their enemies. 15b, so they were severely distressed. Uh, is that like the first page of the New York Times? with a little different wording. As I look at this, I, I, just, I just hate it. I just hate it. Because this is the setting of the book of Ruth. And immediately what we have here is we have a family. We have a man, his wife, and his two sons. And they are driven by circumstance. What's the circumstance? There was a famine in the land. And a man, a man, a covenant man went to the town from the town of Bethlehem in Judah. He went to dwell in the region of Moab. A covenant man from the covenant land of Yahweh went to dwell in the pagan land of Moab where they worshipped Shemosh because they thought it would be better there. This is, this is the text. They took 
the circumstance they were in. And they left. And I've tried. I've tried to sympathize with them. I have all day. All day I've been like trying to sympathize with them. I have. And, and, but here, here's why I'm like, okay, okay, let me, let, me just, let me just look at this. Let me just look at that. I'm going to sympathize with them a little bit. Okay, I don't know what generation for sure that Elimelech was. Was he one of the ones who hadn't seen or experienced the Adonai and his work? Had no one, had he not been raised any better? Was he one of the ones who just sort of caved in to circumstantial obedience? See, that is my greatest fear for every child of God who sits under the sound of my voice tonight is that you will take the word of God you will sprinkle a little bit of your version of grace on there and you'll roll it all up and knead it all in and you'll come up with some circumstantial ethics that create some boutique obedience nicely appropriated for your unique set of circumstances. Just for me. This is me. I'm trying to sympathize. And here he goes. I love David. You see what's happening here, before I say that, what's happening here is this man and his family and his children are leaving the covenant land. What's happening in the covenant land? There's a famine. Andrew, he has no choice. He's got to feed his family. Would he be better off? I'm just asking for a friend. Would he be better off staying in the covenant land of Yahweh? Or going on back to Moab? What would you do? What do you do? You see, this is how this looks. This is how this looks in real life. I mean, this is how we have to put this story on and step in front of that three-way mirror. You know the one at Dillard's that you don't want to have to face. You know, and turn around like this and go, whoa, Jesus. <laughs> Who wants to live with that? But this is how the Word of God is intended to work. It's supposed to be those real ugly fluorescent lights in the three-way mirror. You know what I'm talking about? It's supposed to be that way. Because the whole point of the Word of God is that it's supposed to bring us into the place where we see the commandments of the Lord as opportunities for blessing, not for a threat. You see what I'm saying? That we see the commandments of the Lord as the pillars that frame up the house of God, the place of blessing. Elimelech was a covenant man dwelling, dwelling in a covenant land. But circumstances have distorted the promises and created situational obedience. Paul told Timothy that all scripture is profitable for doctrine. It's God-breathed for correction, for instruction, for reproof, that the man of God and woman may be thoroughly equipped for what? 
every, all good works. We have to choose obedience. That's a faith response, folks. I know obedience is real out of style. We like to shove it into some old covenant reality that that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist in the way we're trying to frame that up as though grace, it changes the nature of man. It doesn't change the nature of sin. Grace doesn't give God a cool modern makeover. You see what I'm saying? It changes the nature of man. A faith response is obedience. This may be, you think, this is outdated. That's what they thought in the days of the judges. We've got other cool new ways of doing things. We can stay at home and listen online. I'm glad for that. Welcome, online family. I told them, salient, salvific. They had gone from failed promises. See, that's, there's a way, Proverbs says this, Proverbs 14 and 12, there's a way that seemeth right unto the man. But the end thereof are the ways of death, destruction. And that's what they did. They're gone. We have to deal with the fact that they had gone to where they shouldn't have been. Now, probably circumstance drove them. They had good excuses. Don't we all? Don't we all have really good excuses for why we did what we did when we knew we shouldn't have done that? But, you know, that boutique truth thing again got us. And here we are. We're supposed to know. Now, I'm not saying that when bad things happen, it's because God's mad at you. That's not what I'm saying here. But... It is a hermeneutical error. It is an interpretive error to look at this book and not allow it to say what it is meant to say. And it sets it up, and we are supposed to know that they have been disobedient and they have forfeited the promises of God. And bad led to a little badder and to a lot badder and to more bad until they came all the way down. And 10 years later, Naomi's looking at three freshly dug graves. She knows it. See, she's living in that two-thirds of Deuteronomy 28. She is. There's, Deuteronomy 28 is a blessing chapter, right? There's the one-third of the blessing, which we want. And I look at that like this. I look at the blessing chapter of Deuteronomy 28, one-third, and then two-thirds are the curses, right? Have you ever read it? Anybody ever read it? Some people won't raise their hand. I'm taking no hands raised as you haven't read it. Okay. So, you all thought this was going to... That's why they don't come to my life. My life classes are like, we understand this is how it works here, guys. <laughs> so here, what we see, I take Deuteronomy 28 is like this. It's hyperbolic. What does that mean? Hyperbole. You know, when you say, I've told you 10,000 times to clean your room. Did you really tell your kid 10,000 times to clean their room? No, you're speaking with hyperbole to make a point, right? 
Deuteronomy 28 is much the same way. It's hyperbolic language. In other words, when I give you a third of blessing and their marvelous blessings, and then I take the time to give you two-thirds, twice as much that's a curse, what am I inviting you to do? Don't be a dummy. Yeah, I'm giving you the, it's like saying it's true or false. It's a, you know, it's, it's A or B and don't pick B. And they're still going, B, it's B. I put B. I felt like the Lord told me it's B. It's not B. It's not B. So they've gone from failed promises due to failed obedience. His and his father's and his father's father. Who knows where the disobedience was at? They've turned to pagan possibility. There's a distortion. They've gone from disillusionment to distortion that seeks to normalize dysfunction. Distort. I mean, I just wonder. It's... Don't ask me, Hank, why? I mean, come on. It's just... I just can't help myself. Obedience just not in my family. You see, it's not a faith response here. And so we're looking at this circumstance. The circumstance is famine. It's death. But see, we started at famine. I don't know. I, I just wonder. I just need your help on this. What's worse, being hungry or being dead? So we see here, they're just moving into it. Now, here's, I'm going to fix and turn it over to you because you've got to fix this, don't you? Some fun stuff here. Make sure I covered all my hard stuff here. They're living. They're living in that place. That married Moabite women. So y'all thought, y'all just skipped over that first part, didn't you? You get off to that love story sometimes. Oh, it's so sweet. Kinsman redeemer. And it is. That's great. We're not going to miss it. But I don't want us to miss the warning. You see what I'm saying? See, so many times we just jump right into the blessing and we miss the warning altogether. And this is the warning here. And it's, it's a circumstance that's coming in. But there's something that's interesting to me. The Word of God is not, it's so specific. I told you this is extraterrestrial. And so it says, how long, how long were they apart? And it says in the scripture, they dwelt there about 10 years. Interesting thing about the number 10 in biblical numerology. Now, you don't, you may say, I don't believe in that. Well, you couldn't possibly read the Bible as a fourth grader and not pick up the fact that numbers are repetitive, Right? And so we understand. See, the Lord doesn't just communicate on this level. He can, there's so much communication in the Bible broken down. And we're going to see. We're going to see extra communication in here that you think, wow, I just can't even believe. It would take a sovereign God to implant that in. 
I mean, it's written by man, but it's God-breathed. And so, 10 years. 10 in numerology is the combination of two numbers. It is 4 and 6. Because 4 plus 6 equals... It is derived from day 4 of creation. Day 4 of creation, God created the sun and the moon. And the sun and the moon was to govern, to govern the cosmos and to be markers for seasons. And then on day six, what did God create? Man. So the number six is the number of man on earth. And the number four is the governance that man lives under during his time on earth. So when we see that that number 10 pops up, what we're finding out is that it is a symbol of man living under his chosen governance. And we're looking at here, they lived there for 10 years. They had lived under this chosen governance. What was their chosen governance? Disobedience. Outside, moving outside. They had to go, you're not supposed to miss this either. They had to leave the promised land and cross back over the Jordan into the plains of Moab, where, oddly enough, Moses gave them his last address in Deuteronomy 32. And he said this, When would it ever be seen that ten could put a thousand to flight? One could put a thousand to flight, and ten could put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock, capital R, had forsaken them. That's what it says. And here they are back there. Let's just put all the pieces together. And so we understand that as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. Your life right now is seed time and harvest. Your life right now, seed time and harvest. Your life, seed time and harvest. How do you sow? With your words and with your actions. Galatians 6 and 4, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever thing, and that's New Testament, guys. And whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It would be a mockery to God to think you could sow one set of words or actions and it come up another set of fruit. As long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. And we choose our own governance. But thank God we're at a cycle of 10 ending here, right? I'm going to turn it over. Get, some, get a Band-Aid out. I want us to look back here and read uh, verses 6 and 7. In fact, let me just. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law 
that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, her and her two daughter-in-laws with her. They went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But I want you to, I want to read that the verse 6 in a different translation. She and her daughters-in-law then prepared to go back from the land of Moab because word had reached her there. Word had reached her there. The word had reached her there. She was in a desperate, dire situation. Now, I have a little bit more empathy that Elimelech is the father, the husband that led his family to Moab. So now you've got Naomi, whose name means pleasant. She is there, somewhat a victim of her circumstance. She's obedient to her husband. Now, I know she could have dug her heels in. You know, those women have a will of their own. Come on, men. She could have dug her heels in and said, no, we're not going. You may be the head, but I'm the neck, and I'm turning us back this way. But nonetheless, nonetheless, she's, uh, she's obeyed. She's like, uh, okay. She's somewhat a victim of her circumstance, and now she's there living, but her husband dies, and she didn't return. She didn't go back. No, her sons are still there, and there's still hope that maybe she can make it. Now her, her sons die because they're married to the Moabite women. But they're there. And if you look up in the Word of God, there is, in the Old Testament that I found, there are seven occurrences of famines. Abraham experienced a famine. Isaac experienced a famine. Jacob experienced a famine. Historians believe that Ruth was written in the time of Gideon, which is the time of the famine during the Judges. We see that Elijah and Elisha both had experienced uh, famines. We see that famines are rampant in the land, and we see that even King David experienced a famine within his time of, of ruling over Israel. But what we see there is many times famines are a result of people's sin, so God dries up the land and he holds back the, uh, the, the seasons and he changes that so that in order that he may attract the attention of the people. But I believe it, it Amos kind of sums it up for us, and this is what it's supposed to drive us to, and that is this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land. The Lord will send the famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing of the words of God. So there's a, there was a famine, each famine, whether it was the patriarchs, many times they had nothing, they just walked into it and the world was in a famine. But every time that famine was there to lead them back, to begin the people of God, to begin to hunger from the depth of your soul to say, oh God, we need you. Oh God, we need you. We need this spiritual drought to stop. We need you to come. Here is Naomi. And she is a woman who has, 
just, man, one decision after the other, and she has fallen headlong into a place that she didn't want to be. And she is there in her situation of dire despair. And now in the countryside of Moab, was it on the, was it on the, the winds? Was it just a caravan that was coming by? Was it the whispers in the field? We don't know how she received. Was there an Israelite that passed through or another nomadic tribe that maybe made their way through Bethlehem, but they came by? And somehow, some way, the word reached her. The word reached her. There's bread in Bethlehem. There is bread in Bethlehem. There's bread in the house of bread. There's bread in Bethlehem. There's some good news that just came your way. There's some bread in Bethlehem. See, all those famines of the Old Testament were to lead us to the reality that man is starving to death. They will do anything and everything to survive. Worship other gods, trying to get the heavens to move, which will not move without the living God saying it's time to move. Because it's pointing to a day where there's a famine not of the physical bread, not of the, of, of the physical water, but there's a, there is a thirst and a hunger. I believe in these last days uh, that God is going to start stirring a hunger inside the church. Uh, Let's say, Lord, we need uh, the bread of life. We need the word of God. We don't want Lord God, a word that, Lord God, that, 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 that tantalizes or tickles the ears. We want a word that transforms us. We don't want to read the word. We want the word to begin to read us. The word. She got word. She got word that there was good news. There was word, Psalms 107 and 20, he sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them. See, the, the scriptures say that the Lord had seen the people's needs. What did he do about the needs? The very basic need. He gave them bread. They gave them bread. Jesus told those in John 10, he said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, Moses didn't give you that bread. The law didn't give you the bread. The law cannot sustain your life. The law we're going to get into and we're going to discover he was the nearer kinsman but couldn't redeem uh, uh, Ruth from her situation. There had to be another redeemer, that redeemer Boaz, who's a representation of the redeemer. We'll discover that as we continue in our study. But what we see here is they sent the word and healed them. The Lord saw what we needed so he sent his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. The same was the beginning with God. All things were created by the word, and without the word was not anything made. In him is life. Life. And that life is the light of men. How will they know that we are the body of Christ? Because we will be illuminating the very word of God, the bread of God, the life of God inside of us because we've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The word changes things. I love what the centurion said. And he, he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I understand authority. 
I know what authority is. I'm a man who is under authority, and I, because I'm under authority, I can command by authority. I don't have to go. All I have to do is send the soldier. You go take care of this. Why do they do that? Because they understand my authority. I understand your authority. You don't go to my house because it will defile you. I want you just to send the word. You just speak the word, and it will take care of the rest of it. He sent his word, and that servant was healed. The word of the Lord tells us that she received the good news. The bread is in he- from heaven has come down to you and I. I love what Matthew 4 and 23 and Matthew 9 and 35 says. As Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. He went about in Matthew 9 and 35, preaching the gospel to the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness among them. What we see is that God, the word, reached Naomi. The word is what we are responsible to live out. See, when the word comes, all of a sudden our worlds begin to change as the word changes us. All of a sudden, our world that we live in, our mental space, the governance of our days, the covenant promises that we have in the word of God begin to change. See, if you don't take in the bread of life, you have nothing to sustain your life. Nothing to base your obedience on. See, you've got to put the seeds of God's word in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, so you can have something that will source the revelation of God. See, it, it comes in as information, and I understand when I preach the word of God, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm giving you information. I'm giving you information. But what my hope is, is when that seed lands, uh, you grab hold of that, and the spirit kisses and touches it, and that information becomes revelation. And when revelation comes, it brings transformation. It begins to change things. And Naomi is sitting in a situation. Uh, she is there and wondering. Uh, I'm sure she was kicking herself. Uh, I'm sure she was bemoaning, walking through the grief process uh, because she lost her husband. Uh, and now she lost her son. Uh, and now she lost her other son. Uh, and now she's got two daughter-in-laws uh, who have no provision. Uh, she has no provision. Uh, she's the lowest in society. She's given up her. She doesn't have any heritage left. Uh, she is there in a foreign land as a foreign person and she doesn't know how to survive. But then all of a sudden, the word reaches her. Oh, there is something happening in Bethlehem. There is bread in the house again. Oh, I believe there's a world outside that's living in famine and their God is allowing of whispers on the winds and on the tops of the trees and in the corners and on TikTok and on Instagram and on Facebook. And, hey, the Spirit of the Lord is moving. There's bread in the house. There's sustaining life in the house. So she gets up. And I'm not going to keep you longer than necessary. Okay. But see, she gets up. But see, this is where the story begins to shift. She gets up. 
She gets up. I'm going back. I'm going to my promised land. I'm going to return my inheritance. Uh, it's, it's a story of the backslider, isn't it? It's a story of the, story of the prodigal all over again. It's, I'm getting up. I'm going back. I'm going back. The way of the Lord is so much easier. <laughs> the way of the transgressor is hard. I'm going to go back because there's bread in the house. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know where I'm gonna, what I'm going to do. I don't have any promises tomorrow. But I guarantee you it's better than where I'm at right now. It's got to be better. It's got to be better. Uh, folks, I had this conversation today with a dear friend of mine. You know what? Until the our bad news really becomes bad news, we're not ready for the good news. Amen? Until you understand how bad your bad news is, you will not be ready to receive the good news. But once you come to the revelation of how bad your bad news is. See, we have, we have presented a gospel that says we made the sacrifice by giving up all of our worldly stuff. We gave up the drink, and we gave up the, the whoring around, and we gave up the sleeping around, and we gave, up the, we gave up the pills, and we gave up the marijuana, and we gave up the late nights and all of the. And we, we think it's such a sacrifice. Good God, have mercy. I don't want to eat from the slop of the enemy's bucket anymore. I didn't give up anything. I have gained it all through Christ. See, if the Lord hasn't become good, then you ain't doing it right. You haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But see, it, it takes a famine. <laughs> it takes a famine sometimes of consequences and actions. It takes a famine of just got to get to growling to the point it's like there's got to be something better than this so Naomi got up I love how the word of the Lord is so strategically placed now each word is hand selected by the Holy Spirit now don't put that but this no not that but this word it this way she went back to the land of Judah. Judah means praise. She went back to praise. She went back to worship. I'm leaving the uncovenanted place I'm at. See, your Moab may be different than her Moab, but it's left you dry, desolate, and all you've experienced is death. It'll kill, steal, and destroy. It will destroy generations. She lost generations. She lost provision. She lost all of those things. And then she wakes up because the word was heard. <laughs> Let's go back to praise. Let's go back to pray. That's a word for somebody tonight. If you stay there, got her husband, got her two boys. She's on the target list. 
It's just a matter of time. I don't know about you, but I don't want, I don't want to die in the land of Moab. If I'm going to die, I want to die in the land of praise. If I die, I, I don't care what I, what I have to do. I'm going to get back over there. I'm going to get back over there. But the Lord has given Kool Aid. It was such there was such an anointing on you last week. I'm telling you, God spoke to me in so many different ways. But He said something to me and cleared a, 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 a theological fog in my mind. And I'm going to preach it again. I preached it last Sunday. The short time I got, I'm going to preach it again. If I get a short time or a long time, I'm going to preach it again. I'm aware of the time right now, so I'm wrapping it up. Okay. See, faith is my response to God. Faith is my response to God. Grace is God's response to me. Faith is how I approach the Lord, and that's what pleases him. And that's what the Lord spoke to me when I sat over there. As you were ministering the word, the Lord said, faith pleases me. See, I respond in faith. His grace empowers me to accomplish whatever it is he has asked me to do. See, so there's no credit on my part. I have no boast whatsoever. It doesn't matter if, if I all of a sudden uh, uh, designed a, a rocket that would make it all the way to the end of the universe. Uh, if, if God gave me the faith for it and I created it, he gets all of the credit for it. Amen? So as we look at this, it takes the absolute limits off of our life. There are no more limits on your life. And see, it's not my faith in my faith. My faith is in him. My faith is in him. See, the, 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 the target of my faith has to be him because my faith can't be in my faith. My faith has to be anchored in him. He's the source of my salvation. He's the source of my life. He's the source of my income. He's the source of everything that pertains to me. Amen. It's a hair press a freckle. Oh, we're not even late. Okay. I want you to stand, if you will. Jesse, you guys come on back up. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll grab them. I'll grab them. They're under there, so I won't step on them. Somebody in this house tonight. Circumstance has driven you to places that you don't want to be anymore. It's driven you there. You didn't think you had a choice. Then you come to realize that, yeah, I did have some choices. And you got to own that. You got to own it. You know, I can spend the rest of my life blaming the hurt that other people afflicted on me. And I, I, I got to forgive them. If I'm going to go on. Because unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping that they're going to die. It didn't work. So I've got to refuse the right to hold on to that bitterness so that I can be free. I've got to forgive them before they make any changes, if they make any changes at all. It doesn't make any difference whether they change or not. What makes a difference is, am I willing to let them go? And if I'm willing to release them by faith, 
what happens? God graces me with the forgiveness to forgive them. But see, you're not going to do yourself any good either as if you continue to kick yourself every day because of the mistakes you made. Many times we lash out at others because we don't want to look in the, that three-way mirror at Dillard's because we don't like what we see. But if we are willing to say, God, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? He will grace you with the grace that will enable you not to live in shame anymore. Not to live in the pain of it anymore. It may be a journey. See, because this is another conversation I had with another friend of mine today. It doesn't matter what the Bible says about me. What matters is do I believe what the Bible says about me? Do I agree with what the Bible says? And when you come into agreement, you can walk together with the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's in the valley, the furnace. doesn't matter if it's in the, in the Red Sea, the Dead Sea. It doesn't make any difference. Somebody tonight needs to return to the land of Judah. I can't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. Stop looking for someone else to do it for you. Stop trying to change the world when God's trying to change you. Stop allowing insecurity to drive you back into Moab and keep making decisions because you believe a false narrative about yourself. But if you'll turn to God, the word of the Lord's going out tonight. He's going out. He's reaching out. I felt such a desperation Sunday, such a desperation that God is reaching out, trying to pull some back, someone in. Say, turn, turn, turn. And unfortunate reality, because I know this from experience, I have begged people, literally begged them to turn, turn, turn. And they wouldn't turn. And they're in eternity tonight, and I know very well where they're at, and it's not heaven. But what will be rehearsed in their ears over and over and over and over for all of eternity is I had a chance, and I didn't take it. Because all God was asking me for was faith, and he would have supplied the grace. Bow your heads, if you will. Tommy, would you help me move this kind of over out of the way? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your mercy. I want to thank you, Lord, for your great grace. I want to thank you, Lord God, that tonight, Lord, that you're dealing with hearts. And that, Lord, tonight somebody will walk out of this house different than what they came. There's somebody 